Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. Well, Christmas is here. The stockings are hung. The gifts will soon be all wrapped and under the tree. Millions will go to Christmas Eve services or midnight mass to ring in the joyous celebrations of the birth of Jesus, humanity's greatest gift. Well, that's what Christmas is, but it's difficult in an age of marketing and advertising and uh, secular kinds of celebrations to, to stay true to the real meaning of Christmas. But Dr. Robert Pacienza, senior pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and president and CEO of uh, James Kennedy Ministries, has 12 key things Christians can do to help save America this Christmas, and while also living out the day's true meaning. Now, Dr. Pacienza joins me now. Welcome, Dr. Thank you so much for having me on today. Well, it's so great. So I want to get your take. Why is America in trouble? Well, I don't know if you can look at one sector of society and see that it's thriving. Uh, we're facing economic instability, political instability, uh, social and cultural instability. And so you look at from top to bottom what's going on in uh, in the Capitol in Washington, D.C., and also in the state houses across North America. It is such a turbulent time. Uh, you look at uh, people's um, mistrust in mainstream media, uh, the information that they're getting on social media, how divisive the nation is right now. And so I think people are looking for something else. They're looking uh, at the uh, promises made by political leaders and uh, media pundits and university presidents and, mm. and seeing that, they, uh, that, that they're all, all failing them, that they're not living up to what they promised to deliver. Um, and so in, a, in a, a time that is incredibly divisive and in, uh, unstable, I think people are looking for, for some other answer and some other direction in their life. You know, one of the things the Bible talks about, and this is something that, you know, we, it never gets out into the mainstream media, certainly, but certainly not into the sort of secular um, public square, is the talk of spiritual evil is that it's, that's at work in the world. Would you say that there is just this, this growing palpable um, growth in spiritual evil in this world? Absolutely. I always remind our congregation that, as the Apostle Paul says, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Uh, when you have a society, when you have a culture uh, that is attacking God's design, for instance, on uh, human life, attacking God's design for gender and sexuality, marriage and the family, uh, these are all part of God's design for a flourishing world, and we're seeing an assault on that design in the public square, we have to conclude this is not a battle against flesh and blood, but this is a spiritual battle. These are uh, the demonic forces of our age uh, that just have that have been present in every age uh, that that is attacking God's people and attacking God's design for the world. This is very interesting because it's not just that they're attacking God's design, but 
then labeling anybody who stands up for it as somehow evil. I mean, this is this is Isaiah come to life. You know, woe to those who make evil good and good evil. Absolutely. And we have to be so careful that we don't dismiss that these are the new philosophers of our age. Uh, those that are calling good evil and evil good are the modern day philosophers, and they exist in every sphere of culture. Uh, and really, you think about what's happening to the next generation. They're, they're leaving the faith, walking away from traditional religion, and embracing the philosophies, uh, the secular philosophies of our age. And uh, you'd be begin to see that our entire history is being rewritten, that uh, what we once called good uh, and pure and blessing uh, for society is now deemed as evil. And this is really the epitome of, of cancel culture. Uh, anything that um, resonates uh, with a traditional view of marriage and family or gender and sexuality, as you said earlier, uh, is deemed as evil and written off and canceled and silenced, all in the name of this new tolerance that exists in our society today. Yeah, because that's how Satan works, actually. I mean, this is a very devious kind of creature. This is this is deceit and lies. I mean, this is how it works. And it's hard to get that out there. But one of the things you talk about, and I think this is very key, is that Christians should be proactive. And you talk about the 12 key things Christians can do for America and to make Christmas meaningful. So what are these 12 things? Yeah, I thought this would be a creative way of sharing with the church. Uh, this is a great season to be public about our faith. Uh, Jesus has called us individually and personally, but he has never called us to a private faith. He calls us individually, but he calls us to be public in our expression about our allegiance and our profession in him as our Lord and Savior. He calls us to be salt and light. He calls us to be a city on a hill. So what better season than Christmas when we have a captive audience to share the true meaning of Christmas and how it can affect our society? So I outline a few things. What a great opportunity, number one, to share the good news of Christmas, that God came down, all of the other religions, all of the other worldviews, uh, talk about us working our way up to God, climbing up the mountain. But Christmas announces that God came down for what purpose? To save us and to be with us. We can pray for revival in our nation uh, this Christmas season, that God would use the true story of Christmas to uh, spark another great awakening. We can display an outdoor nativity scene mm. uh, so that our neighbors and our friends might be reminded of the true reason uh, for the season. So I outline these 12 creative ways in which we can be public about our faith and share the good news of great joy. Uh, that comes at Christmas time. And that's really very, it's very positive because, you know, so many times we complain about the war on Christmas when what we have is the power to celebrate it in the most public way possible. Um, and I think that's, it's just incredible the power that each individual person has by just, like you said, displaying a nativity scene, you know? Absolutely, we have the mo we have the greatest message the world's ever ever heard. We have the the greatest figure the world has ever seen in in Jesus Christ, uh, fully God and fully man, who comes down to be with us. And He turned this world upside down. He came to save sinners like you and me, but He also came to transform nations and societies and cultures. And what a positive message! Uh, the, John tells us that the light has come into the world, and the darkness will not overcome it. It's 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 time we stop complaining. <laughs> and shaking our fist at the darkness and actually demonstrate and declare the light of the good news that comes uh, through Jesus Christ. 
Wow. You know, um, last year you had wrote a book called The The Hope of the World, Christian Cultural Engagement in a Secular Age. Talk about that book for a little bit about what you were trying to accomplish in this book. It's a great question. Well, I'm I'm a very hopeful person. Uh, And the reason I'm hopeful is because I know who's on the throne. I know that Jesus has come into the world and the government is on his shoulders. And the church has traditionally throughout history been called the hope of the world uh, because uh, kings and princes, you know, come and go, uh, governments and empires rise and fall. But the one thing that remains is the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus promises that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Um, And so this was a hopeful message for the church in the 21st century, living in a secular age, an age where uh, the leaders of this secular age have says that religion and in particularly Christianity is not relevant in the public square, uh, does, has no place in public life, uh, that's the secular age we live in, we have an opportunity to still be salt and light. Um, we, we know how the story ends. We just need to start living like it. Uh, we know uh, that God wins in the end. We know that Christ is on his throne and that he's working, reigning and ruling through the people of God here on earth uh, to bring the kingdom of God to bear. And so it's a hopeful message uh, in, in, in t- chaotic and confusing times, uh, but but times where I believe we have an opportunity to answer the call once again uh, to make a difference by being different in the world. Yeah, you know, there are two words here that are very powerful in this title, cultural engagement, because it signals that this is not a social media talk at you or a uh, confirmation bias kind of issue. It means being in the trenches with people and engaging them in a way that, cre- that, that, that gets across the message with truth and love. And you have to stay with people in order for that to happen. You have to have relationships with people. Is that part of uh, you know, what you're talking about in this book? Absolutely, and it's it, it's a passion of mine to see the church engage cultural culture faithfully. But this is really all a, this is the story of the people of God all throughout redemptive history. Uh, Moses uh, was immersed in Egyptian culture, but he understood what it meant to live in the world, but not of the world. And it and God used Moses to uh, transform the, the people of God and and lead the great exile and exodus um, out out of Egypt. Uh, God used a man by the name of Daniel. Uh, to be in the world, but not of the world, in Nebuchadnezzar's court uh, during the great Babylonian captivity uh, to once again advance the kingdom of God. And then when Jesus says uh, to be salt of the earth and light of the world, that means we've got to stay connected to the world. We've got to live in it. We can't retreat from the culture. Uh, that doesn't mean we accommodate the culture or assimilate to the culture, uh, but we we engage with the culture in order to transform it, to look more like the city of God and less like the city of the world or the city of man. And But we can't do those things. We can't fulfill our calling unless we're engaging with it faithfully. We can't run. We can't retreat. We must advance for the sake of the kingdom. But, the, you know, there are so many laws in place that are challenging to Christians because their response pretty much has been to sort of lay low and not challenge. And the people who have challenged have suffered for it. I mean, you're talking about Jack Phillips, who is the baker out in Colorado. He's still undergoing a lot of legal challenges because he did not want to bake a cake for a gay couple. And that went all the way to the Supreme Court, but it was never settled because they they settled, they ruled on one aspect of it, not the entire 
case of whether he had the right to refuse them. And there are other cases like this. But I think one of the – we bring up specific issues – of the relationships that people have in, like, the workplace. You've got people who, um, let's just take the issue of gay marriage. I mean, in this day and age, it is unthinkable for a lot of politicians that somebody actually would say, I am not for gay marriage. I think that is against God's law. It's against God's design for marriage. How do you engage a, a fellow worker or a friend on that issue, because that's a huge one. Absolutely. Well, I think Jesus gives us the model, the paradigm uh, that we we exist and we uh, demonstrate our faith with a spirit of truth and grace. Um, if we only uh, extend grace and, and never preach the truth, uh, we accommodate and we assimilate to the culture. Uh, but if we always give them truth and not grace, we become condemning. So it's it's that biblical balance of truth and grace that we allow them to uh, know that we love them. Uh, we might not embrace their lifestyle or their decisions in life, but they are an image bearer. I think that's what's always made Christianity so effective throughout history. It was the doctrine of the Imago Dei and all people that we're able to disagree on doctrine, we're able to disagree on social decisions and social and political convictions, but I can respect you as a human being uh, because you are an image bearer of the Most High God. That doesn't mean I have to embrace your lifestyle. I can speak the truth, but do it with a spirit of grace and love because of the Imago Dei. So I think that's one way that we can navigate this difficult time as believer, believers who want to remain faithful. We've got to demonstrate truth and grace. But I think going back to what you said about the, the lawsuits that are coming down, I think we need to remember for every lawsuit, there are uh, victories that are happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, on the, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing uh, organizations like Alliance Defending Freedom and Liberty Council uh, that are winning uh, key victories uh, in, in states and in uh, courts that seemed impossible just a few years ago. We think of the landmark case of uh, Dobbs uh, Mm. and the overturning of Roe just a few years ago, which seemed maybe 10 years ago as impossible. We are seeing these things, and I shudder to think, uh, what would would Western civilization look like if Christians in every age said – it's impossible. It's insurmountable. The The secular assault is too great. We just need to retreat and back off because it just seems like at every turn we are losing the battle. Uh, we'll never ultimately win the war, the ultimate war for the sake of the kingdom of God. Uh, if we shrink back at every battle, there's going to be victories and there's going to be defeats. But once again, we need to remember who's on the throne. We need to remember how the story ends and we need to take the end of the story and bring it into the present and realize that we're ultimately fighting a battle that belongs to the Lord. Yeah, you know, one of the other things that's really cropped up recently is Satanists boldly displaying their 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 faith in Satan, which is insane on one level, on pretty much all levels, because people have come to not fear the evil that Satan is. And they don't understand enough about Satan to understand how dangerous this is. I mean, you've got uh, a Satanist, you know, decorating Christmas trees and, uh, and a display in Iowa, an Iowa rotunda, the state capital. Um, you've got what, with the, the National Train Museum, they set up a Christmas tree 
display and different groups decorated the trees. One of them was a, a satanic temple display. All under the aegis of religious liberty. Just your reaction yeah. to that. It's it's amazing, and uh, there's so much to say. Uh, as you said, you said it best. It's insane, and there's so much to say about that. Uh, we need to remember, as the people of God, that Satan is the great adversary. If if we if we dismiss him, we're we're, we're foolish uh, uh, to understand uh, or to to not believe that he is at work uh, behind uh, the forces of our age. He's the adversary. He's the great father of lies. I think it also is a reminder that deep down inside, we are all religious people. Uh, we are right. all longing for some something to believe in, some kind of faith to hold on to. Uh, and this is just another example of people wrongly, obviously, putting their faith in something demonic, um, something that is adversarial and destructive. I think third, I, it was just a, serves as a great reminder uh, that really it's not about people wanting to rid the public square of religion. It's it's really the secular assault against Christianity, yeah. and even you could say the Judeo-Christian worldview. So uh, there's the full embrace of the transgender movement, there's the full embrace of the, the, the Satanist movement, and everyone else is welcomed, of course, into the public square. And except for those that hold a traditional view of marriage and family and gender and sexuality, um, they're all, of course, canceled and dismissed. So I think we're seeing the true colors of our secular age, um, that it's really not about ridding the public square of religion. It's ridding the public square of Christ Christianity and even, bro you know, broadly speaking, the Judeo-Christian worldview. Yeah, I want to take a brief break right here on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. We'll be right back with Dr. Dr. Uh, Pacienza. We'll be right back. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals, to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. And we're back with um, Dr. Robert Pacienza talking about 
well, Christmas we were talking about, but in terms of the Bible, in terms of the secular assault on Christianity, and like you were saying before, it's not religion that they're against, because you don't see this same assault against Islam. You don't see the same assault, well, now we were getting it against Judaism, but we're getting it, it's really anti-Semitism that we're getting it because of Israel. Um, but it really is an assault on Christianity, ultimately, or when you say anti-Semitism in the world, it's growing. It's really a proxy war against Christianity. I mean, I think that's what's really happening. And 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 all of the tenets of Christianity, what they stand up for, is what's under assault. And behind this, and behind this, and you talk about this before in, in Ephesians, is spiritual evil. For every idea, positive or negative, is a level of spiritual forces behind it. And if we don't pay attention to these spiritual forces, we, we're we at their mercy. One of the problems with our culture today is that we don't have a category for sin, for evil. We want to psychologicalize it away or, so, or make a sociological problem out of it. But sin and evil are categories that a secular world does not understand. So how do we create how do people who are believers engage a public that does not believe in sin and evil it's a great question i think we have to explain to the culture that this is ultimately the only way that we can truly understand ourselves and truly understand our world um, no other worldview no other religion is able to make sense of the brokenness that we are experiencing in our world right now. No other worldview or religion is able to understand or explain the hurt that we feel or the burdens that we bear. It is the doctrine of sin that actually makes sense of what we're experiencing and witnessing in the world, both yeah. at home and abroad. It's it's what makes it's it's why life feels so heavy. It's why life feels so burdensome. It's why we're constantly um, constantly battling with each other and battling with ourselves. It's the doctrine of sin as it's outlined in uh, particularly in Genesis three, you see the fall of man and you see all hell break loose. Uh, you see our separation from God, you see our separation from each other. We experience shame and guilt for the very first time. And it's that understanding of the doctrine of sin that offers the world, this is this is why life is the way it is. Yeah. This is why nations are raging against each other because of the doctrine of sin. Secularism can't explain this. Um, a cultural Marxism certainly can't explain this that says that basically everybody's good. Um, uh, and. And we need the doctrine of sin to be able to explain um, why uh, the world is the way it is, uh, but that Jesus Christ has come into this world for this exact reason. Uh, there would be no reason for Christmas if we were all born good. Yeah, <laughs> if there yeah. was no such thing as sin, there would be no reason for God to come down. I'm constantly reminding people the whole reason and purpose of Christmas is because we're sinners in need of grace, and that grace came down in the form of a babe 2,000 years ago. You know, uh, you have a, a documentary out. Um, it's called, What If the Bible Had Never Been Written? And this is really a question that is meant to stimulate conversation with people to see, to show them how vital the Bible 
actually is to America. So, you know, how is how vital is the Bible to America's existence? Yeah, it's a, the, the Bible is the most well-read, uh, the most published book in, in human history, and there's a reason for that, um, not to just sit on our bookshelves and not just to simply be read personally and privately, uh, but it's a book that's transformed civilization. In America in particular, uh, it, is not, it is not opinion, it is fact mm. that the doctrines of the Bible uh, were the predominant doctrines uh, that shaped the founding of our nation, that shaped our founding documents, that shaped the type of government that we would have, that shaped the understanding of the of, of our founders and 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 how they would go about setting up this government uh, that has led to 250 years of flourishing here in North America. Um, you, you see the system of checks and balances. Why? Because they believed our founders believed that man was inherently sinful and we needed a checks and balances in our government uh, to keep us uh, from uh, all kinds of evils. Where did that come from? That came from the doctrine of sin and the doctrine of total depravity. Uh, the, 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 they refer to God as the one of divine providence that, inter, that intervenes in the affairs of all humankind. Where did that come from? That came from the doctrine of God's sovereignty. Um, so the, the Bible was foundational in founding this nation and framing Naming our our founding documents and setting up uh, the flourishing society that we've enjoyed uh, for nearly 250 years. You know, one of the things that people, the secular world, really doesn't understand are the differences really between the faiths, particularly the monotheist religions. And there are only three: it's Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. But one of the there's a big difference though in the Quran and in the Bible. I'm not. I'm. I'm putting you on the spot here because I don't know if you're you're versed enough in the Quran to know. But I would guess that only. And this is what I've heard from theologians: is that we understand the secular world kind of understands. It says, if there is a God, then this God is all loving. But the problem is, is that the only place we have evidence of a loving God, a personal loving God, is in the Bible. And that that does not exist in the Quran. Um, am I right, or is or am I wrong? No, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, it, it it first of all, it's it's only in the Bible that we find the claim that this is the very inspired word of God. That literally, this is the God breathed word uh, that is consistent from beginning to end. Um, anyone that is somewhat versed in Islam and in the Quran knows the major consistencies in the Quran to the point where there's uh, th throughout throughout history and through the development of Islam, uh, they've had to reverse course. They've had to discount some of the passages in the Quran because they didn't line up with uh, what the uh, what some of the prophets were saying and, and how life was being lived out uh, before their very eyes. So we see early on the inconsistencies in the Quran. But you're absolutely right to say only in the Word of God, the Bible, do we have a God that is perfectly holy and righteous and just but absolutely loving and merciful and gracious and slow to anger. And the only way those two things can be reconciled, a just God and a loving God, is through the cross of Jesus Christ. 
That's why it is the greatest miracle in human history that Jesus would go to the cross uh, and on the cross would declare that you are so sinful uh, that uh, that you need a just God to punish you. But at the same time, God is so loving that he would pour out his grace and mercy upon you. Only in the cross of Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, can both of those things be satisfied. And that's the power of the Bible and the power of the message of Christianity. And and and. I was saying before, if you don't have a category for sin and evil, the gospel doesn't have as much impact because of that. And so it's only when we actually understand sin and evil and have a category for it that the gospel makes sense. But the other thing is, this is what's really powerful is the idea of grace. If you don't understand the gospel, grace is just sort of this, you know ethereal thing that exists out there. Explain grace and what it is. Yeah, I love I, I love the the old acronym that grace stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. Um, that that God came into the world in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, born of a woman, born under the law, uh, so that we could be redeemed from the law, uh, that Jesus Christ lived the life we could never live. And as he lived out that life here on earth, uh, he was obedient to the law perfectly. And so what we see happen uh, on the cross of Jesus Christ is that all of our unrighteousness, all of our inabilities and our shortcomings to fulfill God's law perfectly, um, all of that unrighteousness is transferred to Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. All of Jesus's righteousness is transferred to us by faith alone. And that is the gift of God's grace to us. He gets all of our sin and all of our unrighteousness. And by faith alone, we receive all of his righteousness. All of the favor of God is given to us. And so when God looks at a Christian, someone who is fully clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, he is looking upon us as his favored child. That is divine grace, and that is the grace that is found alone in the message of Christianity. Um, and just before we go, uh, Dr. Pacienza, can you impart a, Christus, a Christ, Christmas message that you would like to give people about, well, Christmas? Absolutely. Um, we call Jesus Emmanuel for a reason. Emmanuel means God with us. Uh, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him shall never perish but have everlasting life. At Christmas time, God came down. Unlike every other religion and every other worldview that says we have to climb the mountain to come up to God, uh, that we somehow have to measure up to God to be approved, to be justified, uh, Christmas celebrates uh, the miracle of the incarnation, that God came down in the form of a baby, his name is Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, that he is with us. So if you're out there and you're feeling lonely, look to Jesus. If you're feeling dark and uh, in, a, in a state of being disillusioned and confused, look to Jesus. If you're feeling anxious, look to Jesus. If you're feeling lost and having no direction in life, look to Jesus. If you're trying to measure up to someone's approval and, and you're trying to win others over by your own righteousness, 
Look to Jesus and his righteousness. He was righteous for you. He, on the cross, suffered and died. The, the one that was born in a major ended his life on a cross for you so that you could be saved. That's what Christmas is all about. That is the reason for the season that God, because of Jesus Christ, is always with us. So no matter what you're going through in life right now, if you are found in Jesus this Christmas season, he is always for you and never against you. He is Emmanuel. He promises to be with us forever. Amen and Merry Christmas. Thank you so much, Dr. Pacienza. Thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. If people want to get more about the uh, uh, your book, it's called uh, The Hope of the World, Christian Cultural Engagement in a Secular Age. And also the documentary and the DVD, it says, What If the Bible Had Never Been Written? The two things that people can actually reach out to today as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Amazon Prime members can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music app or just hit the follow button on your favorite podcast player. Merry Christmas to all of you. Thank you for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. Have a blessed Merry Christmas. I'm Lauren Green. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.